1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Scholarly Communication, the podcast about how knowledge gets known. I'm Daniel Shea, your host for episode 124, which today is another installment in the focus, Researchers' Talk. The focus, Researchers' Talk, is a bank of talk by those researchers who have enjoyed particular success in publishing their work. My guests on Researchers Talk tell us how they turn the data and the ideas into the many papers of impact which they have published. Today I'll be talking with Sasha Fahl, Professor for Computer Science and Faculty for Usable Security and Privacy at CISPA, the Helmholtz Center for Information Security in Saarbrücken, Germany. Sascha studies the intersection of computer security and privacy with human factors. He is particularly interested in investigating end users, operators, developers, and designers of computer systems and their interdependencies with computer security and privacy mechanisms. So let's begin this episode of Researcher's Talk. Sasha Fall and Empirical and Behavioral Security. Hi, Sasha. Welcome to the show. Hi. Great to be here. Um, This is an interview, Sasha, which is not so much about those topics, which I've just named, um, which for some of my listeners will mean quite a lot, perhaps for others less, but it's much more about how you research those topics. And generally, I like to break the discussion down into how you use your network, how you read and how you write. So maybe we'll just start right there at the network, by which I mean... The people whom you collaborate with, the people whom you've corresponded with, whom you exchange ideas with, who work in any capacity with you, or who have inspired your Um, work—could you take up that as a sort of general beginning to our talk?
0: Absolutely, and uh, I—the network is particularly important. It's like, like my professional network is uh, like—I would say—extensive and very diverse. It like includes undergrad students who are like, uh, as equally important as like the most senior researchers in the field. So it's really that, um, I see research as a, like, a collaborative, uh, team effort in, in most cases. So it's really not that, um, I don't know, we're, uh, sitting, uh, in front of our computers and like, uh doing research magic and then and then some like papers come out of that so it's really that um if you're like a junior person establishing uh your network uh getting to know people in the community and as i said that can be like uh, the most junior undergrad students um, of course lots of phd students postdocs other faculty um, and, yeah, it's it's really, like, I would say in a nutshell, um, super important to have a, like, strong and diverse network um, with people um, having skills we don't have, like, in our group locally. And I think that really cannot be um, uh, underestimated.
1: I'd be interested to see to hear actually this being a podcast to hear (laughs) um how it how it is then um that for instance you say to have a strong network people offering skills that you may not have locally how is it that you go about locating such people and when having found them what would be a sort of typical process of taking up contact
0: so i think like one of the first like uh or the best things we we can do is like reading papers uh, getting to know like uh, other people getting to know names and then um depending on whether a uh, maybe a conference visit um comes up meeting them in person or reaching out via email or i don't know we are uh, using zoom a lot so it's really um like getting to know new people um often happens uh through reading papers I would say and getting to know names, um, but also um, meeting new people like at conferences. So in computer security, we are like heavily driven by conferences. So we are not like um, publishing our work in journals uh, so much. So it's really uh, about meeting people uh, in person, um, other other researchers in person. So it's like um, a good first step. Um, is reading papers, getting to know names, getting, the, getting to know the, like, uh, put that in quote, important people um, in the field and then um, trying to reach out. And that really depends on, as I said, a conference uh, is coming up or um, if it like has to go uh, fast, uh, reaching out via email or um, an online meeting
1: you mentioned their conferences and uh, i've talked with uh, quite a few uh, computer scientists here and and indeed the conference has a sort of special place in in computer science which it may not really necessarily have in in very many other fields of science the conference from what i hear from phd students postdocs and 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 even pi's has a lot of value just as you're describing it but there's a mixed feeling also in other areas. For example, the presentation rounds are often seen, this is what I've heard, uh, as not a waste of time by any means, but not an opportunity really to network. Whereas I've heard other people say, you know, the rounds of coffee or out in the hall bumping into people, those are the ideal opportunities.
0: Yes, I can, I can totally agree. So, uh, I mean, we go to conferences and um, like one thing I always tell my PhD students is that um, listening to talks is is only one thing. Getting to know like uh, 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 papers like via presentations is, is only one thing. And uh, another like super important thing is to get to know people. And uh, as you already mentioned, like uh, the hallway is like, The place um, to get to know people to just like have a coffee and chat a bit about like uh, an interesting presentation, for example, or like a question that um, a research question that you're currently working on. Yeah. So uh, what I uh, always want my PhD students or encourage them to do is. Um, getting to know at least two new people when uh, going to a conference.
1: And in that uh, vein, two new people, that's that's also good. It's, it's, it's nice to have a uh, to be able to quantify these things. So let's imagine you are such a PhD student. This is one of your initial uh, publications. I mean, this is a scenario certainly you'll have had with uh, your students. Um, w- i'm sure for very many people it's not easy to approach you know a senior top type researcher someone whose work that you've built off of or read quite closely or even if you're so lucky during maybe a poster presentation to be approached by somebody somebody who for you is a big name is is there any advice that you would give to an early career researcher in these scenarios
0: um i think my advice really is like just try to do it like um Almost all all people I I, I know in, in our community, like including um the senior people, um, they are open, they are friendly, they are welcoming, um, they I mean mostly have five minutes to chat. So it's really um approach them uh with like maybe an an interesting research question or um any particular um idea you have. So really it's really about trying just, just doing it.
1: Right. Biting the bullet, as we say, and just going in there. Um, one one of the things uh, about networking is there is this situation which we're describing right now, the initial contact uh, very often in computer science. You know, a, a conference will enable that. You've also said there's the opportunity to just sort of reach out with an email. Um, but, but the meeting, the initial contact is really just the you know, the tip of the iceberg when it comes to networking. The networking needs to connect and stay connected. From your own experience, what what would you say are useful techniques for, you know, following up with a second collaboration or keeping in touch with someone whom you might not even have collaborated with, but who where the correspondence has been inspiration for new work or whatever comes to mind for you there?
0: Yeah, I think um, that got a lot easier in the last, like, over the last years, like, um, I mean, in particular during the pandemic, lots of conference events went like online. So lots of, uh, conferences had like, I don't know, Slack channels, for example, where like, you can, you can just find people. And, um, that's a, I think a great opportunity and a very inclusive, uh, opportunity to like get in contact and stay in contact. Um, I remember like when I was. Uh, a junior PhD student, like kind of the only way to really like get to know people and um, uh, stay in touch were conference visits and later on then maybe like physical PC meetings, like program committee meetings, but um, like all the online opportunities like uh, conference uh, Slack channels and so on are a great uh, way to really stay in touch.
1: Very good. Um I would like to also, in in this topic here of networking, come to your particular institute, your home institute, which in security is is world-renowned and is doing some of the top work in in the area of computer security. Maybe would you give us uh, a bit of an insight as to what it means to be a researcher at CISPA and what it is that CISPA contributes to the work that you do?
0: um i think it's a great work environment it, like uh provides lots of uh freedom so um uh like i mean we uh have like uh, awesome resources so it's really like we can we can tackle uh, problems that um maybe in other environments and, and other inst- other institutes are harder to tackle because like the the typical way research is done um you kind of identify an interesting problem. You write a grant proposal, you get um, some funding, and then you like have the freedom to work on that particular problem for like let's say uh, three years, which is like a, a typical time range. Um, and at CISPA the like um, I think outstanding opportunities are that um, you can really try to uh, tackle the things that um, are harder to work on. Um, in the, in the typically grant uh, uh, funding driven um, environments. I think that's probably the, 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 the biggest advantage and um, has like the uh, most significant impact on my work.
1: And by that, you mean simply that the resources available anyway at CISPA free up uh, researchers for being tied to these, these funding sources then? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And when you say freedom, uh, I'm imagining you also mean something along the lines of research freedom. I mean, the one freedom on the financial or resources end is obviously necessary, but I would imagine there's a level of independence to seek out uh, the questions or the the problems in the research which you feel matter and which you feel your group is best suited to to address.
0: Yes, I mean i, I can uh, I can totally agree. It's that whenever like. We, and when I say we, I mean my group, my uh, like PhD students in my group, um, then we are just doing it. So um, when, I, when I mentioned freedom, it's the financial freedom on the, on the one end, but it's also really whenever we uh, think uh, a topic is interesting and um, matters, um, we are basically just doing it.
1: And this is clearly something that the um, Institute of CISPA enables, but if we could zoom in, I, I would like to briefly talk also about a few different roles as a researcher, the, the researcher as a PI, the researcher as a reviewer or a chair at a conference. But to begin with the PI, how is it that you then yourself reproduce in your group this sense of, I'll just call it intellectual freedom, for lack of a better word, this, uh, this, this curiosity?
0: um i really try to be a coach for my students um that is like um how i uh would describe myself so it's really um i try to encourage um to think um out of the box um as as often as uh, possible so i mean looking at uh related work is like um one of the key things um that we we do as researchers, so that um, includes PhD students, postdocs, and, and faculty.
1: Um, but it's also that
0: um, having this freedom um, means that um, thinking out of the box is um, is really something um, we can do, and I I try to encourage my my PhD students to do that. Um, um, yeah, whenever they have uh, ideas in in their mind. Mm-hmm.
1: And. There, there are certain things clearly about the scientific culture, which I'm sure make this a, a challenging effort on your part to allow this sort of freedom and space for curiosity. I mean, one is clearly just simply the pressure inside of a, as, as a PhD, inside of a certain period of time to have published so many articles. And with computer science, it's it's probably slightly more complicated because of the fact that you have the conference rotation, which, which adds sort of fixed um, deadlines throughout the year, which in other fields are slightly more movable, are tied perhaps more to funding questions than anything instead of an actual deadline where a submission needs to be in by. So I guess what I'm saying is there are clearly pressures to publish a lot and to publish at certain times and i wonder as as a as a pi yourself how is it that you manage these competitive pressures against the necess- necessity for freedom to uh, um, explore ideas
0: um i think the one thing comes together with uh, the other in a way so yes i agree we have deadlines and we have to publish and we have to publish um a lot and high quality so we have like insecurity like typically four conferences we try to publish at um and yes i mean deadlines um uh, are there and we need to we need to make them but um what like changed in the last couple of years is that the top like conferences um have like they they introduce multiple deadlines a year so it's not that we have like four conferences and like four deadlines but we typically have two to three sometimes even four deadlines Per conference per year, that gives us, like, in the end, um, between ten to twelve deadlines. We can we can try to make, and that um, again allows for like um, a lot of flexibility when it comes to to publishing.
1: Very good. Uh, the, the the last role that I wanted to just briefly touch on before we maybe move over into over into the topic of of reading for research purposes was as a reviewer, early career researchers clearly are very interested in um, the things that reviewers are looking for and how it is that they think. And when they pick up um, a submission, what's on their mind, Um, what might be. So a brief look into your perspective on a manuscript that's been given to you um, as, as a review object.
0: Um, Like it, it really helps to get kind of an understanding um, of how to, how to, like structure a successful paper in the end. And that is, um, I mean, reviewing means you see like lots of papers that do not get published, right? So when uh, when we talk about like the, the four big conferences, we typically have acceptance rates between 15 to 20, sometimes 25%. So it means um, reviewing um, provides the opportunity like to like also look at papers that, as I said, um, do not get published, um, uh, do not get accepted. Um, and I mean, looking at the successful papers, um, kind of reverse engineering structure and, 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 and how to like uh, write a paper is, is great. But also having um, the examples that do not get in, um, in particular for junior uh, uh, students, uh, junior PhD students, um, are super helpful, I think.
1: All right. Yeah. Um... As as I said, um, I'd like to perhaps move on then over into your reading strategies and your view of reading. I've I've begun here to talk about an idea that I call scientific reading, which uh, is really the counterpart to scientific writing. Um, All of us have heard about courses in scientific writing, but very few in scientific reading, and I think that that's a bit of an oversight, which is why I like to take the time to speak with researchers about it. And and you've already broached this. In fact, Uh, you said earlier that. You know the related works is one of the key things that any researcher does um considering those is really at the heart apparently of of what it is that you do
0: yes absolutely i mean you need to you need to uh get ahead of uh, the things that are going on in the community right so um reading is really um part of what um like we all do in, in, in our group. I would say I try really try to read a paper a day. Um, it doesn't always work, but I really try. and um, I kind of expect that from my PhD students. So um, going through conference proceedings and identify um, interesting work is definitely a thing we sometimes do as a group activity. Um, and I mean, there are tools like, um, for example, Google Scholar that really help to Um, not lose track of what is, what is going on. So um, reading really is uh, uh, super important. And um, as you, as you just mentioned, it is that there are like many courses on scientific writing, but scientific reading is um, not as uh, often taught, I would say. So um, when I teach, I uh, try to like, as part of an undergrad course, try to teach uh students um undergrad students uh to read uh scientific papers in a structured way so really like in particular when you when you are like a junior junior researcher a young student um it might be overwhelming to like try to read uh 15 15 pages scientific paper so it's um really, uh, really important to have kind of a strategy um, on how to do
1: it. This is one of those venues, uh, this podcast, uh, to get out uh, some of those strategies. So from your teaching, uh, particularly with maybe even people pre-PhD, but also just beginning their PhDs, from your teaching, what have you found was one of the major problems that people faced and how have you helped them perhaps address that in the reading? Mm.
0: I think one important uh like in particular if you if you're new to a field um maybe an early phd student um one thing i kind of learned in the last uh, couple of years is that uh, trying to read a paper from like page one to the last page um really might um kind of uh make it super hard to get into get into a topic so what i Typically, try to try to teach as a like a three step uh, three step uh, process. In particular, if you uh, if you need to need to get an overview of related work, so not only reading one paper, but maybe twenty to thirty papers, um, or like uh, uh, picking papers from like a, a bigger set of papers and identifying relevant papers and um, sorting out uh, not so relevant papers. Yeah, so it's really like um, I I typically try to. Uh, teach uh, students to uh, from reading abstracts to like introductions, getting an idea: is it like a relevant paper? Is it really related work or not so related? And then in the ste- second uh, step, second phase, a second pass, mostly trying to get like most of the content, but not particularly uh, uh, each and every detail. And then if it is really important, for example, to uh, inform your uh, your like research than um, really sitting down with the paper and spending maybe a couple of hours um, on a particular paper.
1: This seems to be one of those counterparts uh, to what happens in scientific writing, where people have the notion that what I get down on the page is what's going to get published, more or less, right? I've got to put in a comma or two. And it seems that in scientific reading, the notion is that I'm going to read all the words there and then I'm done. And you've 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 shown very well that this <laughs> this is not really an effective method, right? You've got to use the paper as a tool.
0: All right. I mean, we have to deal with hundreds of thousands of like new papers uh, every year. So um, even if like uh, we are trying to read one or two papers a day, it we, we just cannot read them like um, in their entirety. So we need a we need like efficient strategies to kind of uh, deal with the huge amount of papers coming out each and every every
1: year you talk about a, a paper a day approximately with exceptions i'm sure but but uh, 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 certainly a a speedy schedule and the schedule is clearly necessary which which you've shown and it doesn't surprise me at all but one of the things that's that's in scientists' way is a lack of time, or at least time and long blocks, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and, absolutely. and I'm wondering then, I, I've spoken with people in writing studies, and they've developed methods which they sometimes fancifully call ninja writing, where you just sort of, even even with 15 minutes, you know, you make some progress on a paragraph. I've been thinking how this might apply to reading, and my initial responses from people I've spoken to were that it's it's difficult. but I'm imagining you must use something along those lines to be able to be so productive in your reading.
0: Uh, yes, it's it's difficult, it's super difficult. I would like I would say like when I say I try to read a paper a day, it's uh, not a super detailed read so right now it is um i have like my uh stack of papers that i that i try to read <laughs> um and i like um i try to take like 15 to 20 to maybe 30 minutes um out of a day to read one paper and um reading like i don't know spending 30 minutes on a paper doesn't uh obviously not allowed to like uh really get each and each and every detail in depth but it allows me to um cl- kind of keep on track what is on uh what is going on in the community that might be different for like uh, a junior person so uh, i remember remember back when i was a, a junior phd student reading a paper really took me longer so i spent like easily spend uh, half a day uh reading reading a paper because um they Mostly everything in the paper was new to me. And um, now, like uh, 10 years later, um, yeah, I'm, I'm quicker. I like it, it probably reading speed uh, um, got better, but I also really have a better idea on like where to focus on um, if I'm really mostly interested in, in like the bigger picture of a paper.
1: Yeah, I mean, that makes uh, a lot of sense. And it also is a nice message out to early career researchers and PhDs who are finding the paper reading going slow that you can expect it with time to become faster. And this is just a natural function of specialization, right? Understanding more and more of what's there quicker and quicker and noticing the, which are often called the novel bits or the contributions in the paper. Mm -hmm. And I think that's... I mean, reading requires practice as writing, like as everything. And I think that um, what you say there with the idea that you're keeping on track and you're going through the papers fairly quickly, but th- that's entirely understandable. It's a sort, it's a certain mode of reading, isn't it? I mean, you'll know whether or not you need to give these papers later in a future project a close read. Right,
0: exactly. I mean, I have this one stack um, where I, like a virtual stack where I put on papers that I... I like find interesting from like, uh, uh, given the venue where the paper was published or the, the authors, uh, on the paper or the title, the topic, right. And then I like spend like 15 to 30 minutes on the paper and, um, kind of either put it on a second stack, um, where I like try to come back later, um, maybe in the context of like one, uh, of our own projects, or I make the decision to like not spend more time on the paper.
1: One last question that's uh, interesting when it comes to reading, I think, for very many, uh, all researchers, I would imagine, but uh, this 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 podcast is aimed somewhat at at early career researchers, is the perhaps worthwhile distinction. And if it doesn't make sense to you, then please just raise your hand. <laughs> um, the worthwhile distinction between understanding what's there on the line, what the words are saying but then also being able to judge what is meant by that. I have the feeling sometimes that early career researchers look at a paper as if it was a textbook and its 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 purpose was to inform. Whereas I think it's worthwhile, and this is the second point of, of being able to judge, I think it's worthwhile to notice that papers are also there to persuade or to convince, aren't they?
0: Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's, uh, that's part of the... Of the like progression, right, and part of the part of the practice, like um, as you as you said, like as an early uh, career researcher, it like d- like people tend to take for granted what is like uh, what is in a paper, and as uh, more you progress, and um, uh, for example, um, when you start writing uh, your own reviews for papers, yeah, um, it might be that you you start to realize, oh well. Uh, this particular uh, methodology like um is maybe not the best or could have been better or like for example yeah so it's really um this um not only dealing with like the huge amount of uh, papers but also like uh, learning uh, to read critically in a way is it's like super important I think
1: yes definitely Re- reading critically is what I meant by the, this this judging um, is is that is that something that uh, you mentioned earlier? That sometimes in, in the group you'll 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 take up a paper and, and go through it uh, briefly. What is it that you maybe sections or wordings or or whatever? What is it that you point to in a paper when you're trying to draw their attention to this this second level this this level of critical thinking?
0: Um, I think it's it's really mostly. Um the methodology section so the section of a paper where like authors ideally provide like um enough information to like get an understanding of what they did and how they did it i think that's super important to kind of get an idea and to judge the quality of the work yeah and um i think the second uh, important uh, part is the discussion where um like in addition to the results, obviously, so the discussion section. Um, I see the discussion section mostly as the section where, like, um, authors critically um, like um, interpret their their results in a way, and and that's like methods and discussion. I think um, are really good sections to um, get into this critical um, critical thinking.
1: That provides us a nice segue over into. The writing part of our talk, our final, final part of the talk. And, and I suppose it would be nice to just follow right up on uh, what you've just said there about methods and discussion as being the moments when reading where you need to be critically aware. Well, how about when you're writing? A methods or discussion. What is it that, as an author or a co-author of a paper, you, Sasha, are particularly interesting and in, interested in being able to convey there?
0: Um, like, um, let's take the methods. Yeah. So, um, whenever we uh, write a method section, we try to be um, particularly transparent about our methodology so we really try to put in enough information that allows um, uh, readers to kind of get an idea a really detailed understanding of of what we did I consider this particularly important um, for uh, repeatability reproducibility uh, research transparency name it um, whatever you whatever you like so it's really um, we have like um, for most sections kind of a template. So whenever we say we uh, pick this particular methodology, then we expect um, kind of this and that structure and this and that information in this and that level of detail. So um, when I mentioned earlier that um, like writing a paper or like um, also reading a paper is a lot about um reverse kind of reverse engineering um um previous work so get an understanding of like how uh successful papers in the community look like structure-wise content-wise uh, uh, uh word-wise um all that
1: yep. yeah and that's kind of a version of reading like a writer, that last bit, isn't it? Uh, that you can actually, this is something that I say I mean, my listeners will know that I, I help uh, actually computer scientists um, write uh, their papers and uh, this is something that I often tell them that uh, you can read for the science and you can read for the text and this seems to be very much what you're talking about.
0: Yes, absolutely. I mean, we in, 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 in my group try to make that part of the writing so we typically try to have one like our uh, team member um, on a paper who takes over like a red team uh role so that means um this particular researcher um is not really in, in involved in like um uh, the writing or the the experiments in, in like doing the actual research but really um the, the kind of expectation of that person is to like, read the paper um, and read the writing as, um, um, as, as like a scientific reader and trying to identify um, uh, weak spots and try to identify like, opportunities to improve the writing.
1: That's a fantastic. It, it very much shows that you're from a security background <laughs> to come up with the red team approach. I like that, though. That's a, to really vet a paper before it gets out there in the world.
0: I mean, it doesn't always work, obviously, right? There are deadlines and then you want to get out, get out papers, but we, uh, we really try that.
1: Uh, nice. Yeah. What are, let's say um, you've you've spoken briefly about methods, maybe one quick follow up question on methods before we talk a little bit about discussion. Um, one of the points there is transparency, clarity and justification, understanding. So why have they chosen to use these methods? One of the complaints that I'll often hear is the availability of code, and even if it is available, sometimes I'll hear that, well, it's on a smaller dataset or a simpler model than was actually used in some of the experiments, and, and this leaves a lot of guesswork. Um, is is this something that, as a reviewer and also as a reader, you've encountered yourself?
0: Yes, I mean, a lot, right? So um, uh, uh, when I say we try to be transparent, we typically try to provide like a replication package and um, put in that replication package um, as much as we can. So in our uh, or in my group, it's not so often like code because we run lots of user studies. It's more like um, survey uh, 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 survey guides or interview guides or like... Um, other things right that are not necessarily code but it's the same if like the information is not enough it's just really hard to kind of um, uh, get in get in get a good understanding of like how like um, of the quality of the work actually you're reading but yeah I, I totally agree and I think um, our community is like making progress in that sense um, that um, most of the of the um, uh, top conferences we are, we are, we are typically, typically trying to publish at um, introduced um, so-called artifact evaluation committees. So um, in addition to reviewing like papers, so the PDFs, uh, those artifact evaluation committees really look at, for example, provided code or um, at like other information that might help to kind of. Um, Really grasp what's what's in the paper and, and and like get a better understanding of the quality
1: of the work. I think that's a good move because um, it's certainly a major issue when it comes to, to methods for sure. Yeah, maybe as a double question, I, I wanted to just briefly get into discussion section, which you also pointed out as being a key moment, and I'm sure lots of other readers, uh, practiced readers, uh, head quickly to a discussion to see what all this means and why it matters. Um, The discussion tends to be the moment in a paper where you start to look outward. There's usually more citation going on there. You're getting into a conversation, if you like, with the people who might disagree with your reading of results. And I would like to sort of tie that with another practice in writing, and that is paraphrasing or note-taking. I mean, scientific writing is inclusive. It's not just the writing that we do to finally then come up with a publishable manuscript it's it's all the writing that goes into it which which will include certainly the paraphrasing that one does on the papers that are really close to that particular um, manuscript so as the double question i guess uh, what is the role of the other work inside of a discussion and what are some of your writing practices particularly maybe note taking or paraphrasing that you might use when you uh, prepare a manuscript
0: uh, let me maybe come to the second question first. Um, so it's, um, I try to do it myself and I try to, uh, like, uh, teach it to my, to my PhDs, um, is the like zero drafting ab- approach or like, um, writing early and writing often. So I, I totally agree, um, uh, that it's super important to like, kind of write a lot and, um, like, accept that um, what you initially write is probably not what like um, will be submitted, and definitely not what is like in the in the camera ready version of the paper. So it's really I try to try to encourage uh, um, my my team to like put in text into a paper early on and write sections that like can be written, for example, before we have results, um, like writing those sections and then um, revising them um, multiple times, ideally to really um, make sure that like um, argumentation in the paper is good. Research questions are good that our, like the results actually address the research questions and that the discussion like fits well together with the results and the discussion. I don't know, uh, discusses research questions and all that stuff. So I think one like um, really important, like, uh, at least from my point of view, one really uh, important um, aspect of writing is um, write early, write often, and um, revise often.
1: Write early, write often. I like that. <laughs> That's, uh, that, that sounds also very nice. I, I wonder, though, if you haven't then also in your group... You encourage this, and this is clearly good research practice. It's I've heard it from very many of the successful authors who, who talk uh, in just that same vein. But I would imagine in your research group, you might encounter uh, also researchers, PhDs, and so on, who are in your charge, who um, are less easy to encourage to write so soon, or perhaps reluctant because of an unwillingness to put things down that aren't right. Or even some people just somewhat unwilling. I mean, science is not the place where people who are very text happy uh, naturally gravitate towards, let's say. (laughs) Um, So so I wonder from your PI or supervisor perspective, what are some of the things that you do to try to to encourage this this very useful practice? I think
0: this like writing early, writing often um, approach kind of results from uh, experiencing that, I don't want to say most, but some PhDs, like computer scientists in general, probably just aren't natural writers. <laughs> so um, um, what I like, experienced in the past, like quite uh, some time was that um, we had a great idea, like all the research was done, we had like the results, and, like everything kind of was, was completed um, besides the writing. And we had like three more days until the deadline, and then, um, in particular, for the people who like uh, struggle with writing, and um, it's really that like if you struggle with writing, you're totally not alone. Um, then um, I think over over time, yeah, we in the group, and uh, it's not that like that was me uh, it was me alone. It was really like also a group, a team effort. I would say, try to. Um, like cut down the writing into smaller pieces and like try to make it like um, part of the regular research process right from the beginning. So uh, for example, like um, we usually try to write like um, uh, half of the, of the introduction really early on to kind of get an idea of how we can motivate our work. And that is something that can be done really like early on in the process. And, uh, my experience is that um, cutting down the writing into like small or smaller pieces and really trying to weave in uh, the writing into like the regular research uh, researcher's day um, makes things a bit better and a bit easier, in particular for people who are not enthusiastic writers.
1: I mean, what that is, is certainly a recognition that part of what you're doing in your research day is Writing, or to put it another way, writing is part of your research process, so is it not?
0: I, I would, I would even say that, um, like I've seen many uh, papers in our group, but also as a reviewer, where I, where I think the the research is like the research is great or was great, and it's really only the like the written presentation that um, did not convince, and that's a pity. Right. You like uh, invested so much time in doing the research and then um, you just don't like can't convince the readers. So um, absolutely. Yes. I would say uh, prioritizing the writing and making it like an integral part of the research uh, process is super important.
1: I mean, one of the things that I say to the people I work with is that writing has a memory function which you can use. I mean, the wonderful thing about putting something down in print is that it stays that way. And that's just really an affordance for our thinking brain, because our thoughts carry on, they always stay somewhat vague, our perspective on things change. But if we can look at last week's, let's say, update, on where the whole project stands or one particular problem in the project, then we've just given ourselves our own boost, haven't we?
0: Absolutely. I would absolutely agree. And that gets even more important when we see uh, research as a collaborative effort and like communicating research, like ideas, progress, results in a written form is a lot easier than um, only talking about it.
1: To close out, um, I'd I'd like to just pose uh, one last question, Sasha. And one of the aims of this podcast is simply, as it can, to help the research. So I'm thinking help authors submit better, help chairs or editors publish better, reviewers make better decisions and so on. So my question is... If any of these groups or some other group, perhaps also in the education system, would be somebody whom you could address with a concern through your experience, something that you think, if we could just change this, clearly things would get better on this end or on all ends of the research process.
0: Um, I think like one particular thing in our community is, is reviewers. So um, I think it got better in the last like uh, couple of years. But if I could kind of encourage reviewers to be even more constructive and even more positive in their reviews, um, I think that like in particular would help junior researchers a lot. So uh, getting rejected obviously is is part of the game. I mean we reject. 80 to 85 percent of all papers, so that's that's part of the game. But um, then getting um, destructive and like sometimes mean reviews is really a bad experience, in particular for junior researchers. So if I could address reviewers, it really would be uh, try to be even more positive, even more constructive, and um, help like other researchers in the field to like improve their work.
1: Well, thank you very much for that, Sasha. That is Sasha Fall. He is a faculty member at CISPA. This is goodbye from me to Sasha. Goodbye. Thanks for having me. And this is goodbye to all of you. Bye bye. And until next time here on This Focus Researchers Talk.